0: All right. Well, welcome back to the Awakening Innovations Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Barnes. And today we have a special guest, Alex Lopez. Uh, he served four years in the Marine Corps. He's in the financial industry. He's done a ton of other stuff that he'll tell us about. And one really cool thing about him is that he's been married for 18 years and oddly, somewhat oddly in today's society to the same woman. So... Um, Thank you very much for coming on, Alex.
1: And love to learn more about you and what got you to where you are now. Absolutely appreciate you having me on today. It means a lot. Um, so kind of very simple. Going back uh, in time, I guess you know I grew up in Los Angeles, California, in a city called Covina, California, which a lot of people assume it's West Covina, but it's not. It's Covina. You know, I mean, we all we all stress that a lot. Uh, just overall, I mean, I was one of those kids that. You know, just really had no, I was just so curious. I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. I never knew, you know, I, I saw what my dad did. And my dad was, you know, he was in, he was in business. He was vice president of a, of a you know, um, architectural landscape company. And um, he just worked real hard for the family. And that's pretty much what I saw. And my real dad, who I didn't really know growing up very much, he was in the oil industry. Mm-hmm. So for me, I really never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. So that was kind of a, a soul searching method from, Thinking, you know, when I was, I remember when I was five, I wanted to be a lifeguard, uh, you know, and that's, that's any kind of (laughs) transition. Yeah. I mean, in California, I mean, that's one of the biggest things is, you know, and then when you, uh, I I lived uh, in Covina, so down the street was raging waters. So it's a water park, you know, basically. So that was a a big thing there. But um, I believe around 11 or 12, my my dad kind of figured out that uh, my, my stepdad, who I consider my dad. He figured out that I just had to be challenged more and 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 you know, a spanking doesn't really do anything to me. I was I was very uh yeah. I wasn't emotional, I was very technical. And um, you know, he started doing, you know, he started challenging me with things. For example, if I wanted to not be in trouble anymore, I remember he had bought me a um packard was my first computer with Heelett Packard. Hmm. And he would make me take it apart, lay the parts out, and put it back together. <laughs> first time it took me probably, I mean, taking it apart wasn't too bad. I mean, probably about a day. You know, imagine being 13, 12, 13, and then uh, putting it back together. took me about a week and a half, you know, to get it to work and flash a hard drive, do everything over. So I just kept doing that, kept doing it until a point to where uh, he, I was doing it in 30 minutes. So you had to find some other way to. to That was before YouTube that would show you how to do it all. Yeah, before YouTube. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I had, I was very much into the, the computer IT industry. I started doing some programming when I was around 13, 12, 13 years old and just continue on with that. And it was just a really good passion for mine. I mean, one big thing that I, that, I, that I remember now that I most didn't like was I spent a lot of time by myself. So because, of, you know, you're in a room doing stuff, you know, trying to make, uh, you know, hacks into video games to make things, you know, easier for yourself oh, yeah. and, and different different things. So over with that, you know, I kind of bounced around from programming that I went into web design for a little bit, did some graphics for a long time. I mean, even to this day, I still do some graphical work. Okay. And then, um, You know, then I started doing network administration from when I was 18. I was working for a company called Priority Tech Support. They were contracted by D-Link Networking Systems. So I did a lot of stuff there for them. And then uh, I was 18 at that point. So I kind of had no idea what I wanted to do. And I just knew I I got tired of being in the IT industry. So I went to the Marine Corps and uh, they said, oh, you can be a programmer in the Marine Corps. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. So in that, in that journey there, um, the, the day, so originally kind of going back, when I was in 12th grade, I joined the Army first on accident, um, <laughs> which is kind of okay. weird, right? Well, only only i on accident. Um, yeah, I went to a, a Marine Corps office, and they were not there, so I stopped by the Army's office. I said, hey, do you want them to be back? And they said, well, they're gone for the day, but we're about to barbecue, and, you know, hang right. out. You want to hang out? I was like, of course I do. I'm a 17-, 18-year-old kid. Of course I want to go hang out, you know? So um, I joined the Army. They put me in a basically, you know, in uh, nuclear biological warfare, which I had no interest in whatsoever, but wow. just, yeah. So, um, It's
0: a little scary that that's how you get into
1: that is to go to a barbecue. That's the main Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, um, I, I was trying to get out of that for a while. Because I saw a friend of mine at the mall. He's Gabriel Hernandez. He's, he's been a friend of mine since like, as long as I can remember. He got home from boot camp. He says, Hey, what are you doing after high school? So every, every time when you come home, your job is to find another one. Okay. I'm going to the army he says man you're not going to the army he's like let's go to the recruiter's office <laughs> uh, I, met, I met a recruiter and um I kind of determined that the army wasn't really the way I wanted to go just because my uncle when he came home from the marine corps in, in the 80s he made me a bet of thousand well he made me a bet he offered me a thousand dollars I graduated boot camp okay uh, and this is when I was I don't know five six seven years old that's all I can remember you know so basically from that aspect, um, it took me about six months to get out of the, out of the army's, uh, program. Yeah. You know, of course I had to wait past the fiscal year. They couldn't, they couldn't let me drop off before the fiscal year, you know? <laughs> so I basically remember uh, November 16th of 2002, I was set. I went to Meps to join the Marine Corps. I did through the whole, you know, went through the whole Meps process and everything like that. And, um, that's when I started to find out that, you know, uh, Things aren't always what they seem when you go in the Marine Corps. Marine Corps' mission is more important than, than what you want in life, which is fine. I mean, we commit to that. But um, I, I remember doing uh, MEPS that day, and then I met uh, – well, I was at MEPS all day, and I went to my brother's house at night. We were supposed to go out to a club or something. I don't remember. But um, he was doing a party for me. as a congratulations for joining the, the Marine Corps. And that's the night I met my wife, okay. who I still have today, and just kind of transitioned through that. But in the time in the Marine Corps, I, I've always had – like, growing up, I've – I always say that I was never like, um, never naturally gifted at sports or athletics, stuff like that. Like, even in the military, I had to work harder than other people to run and mm-hmm. hike and things like that. So, it was kind of a big feat for me. And pretty much, I'd quit everything else I did in life. So, it was kind of exciting to do something that I couldn't quit no matter what. Right. <laughs> and my dad was, you know, fans said, are not fans of you quitting. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my, my stepdad was really you know, proud of me. And, you know, I said he, uh, to me, that was, that was a lot. You know, mm-hmm. um so I joined the Marine Corps. I met her that day. I left thirty days later and uh her and I wrote back and forth every day. I mean she, I fell in love with her through through uh you know writing. It was unlike what we do nowadays, you know, it was literally right. writing a letter and waiting for another one. Mail. Yeah, I mean in, in and <laughs> I remember I remember in boot camp, um I got a letter every day and my drill instructor, um that that gentleman, drill instructor Carlberg. Yeah, Carl, something like that. But he um he goes, he's calling out the mail. He goes, Oh, look who didn't get any mail. And I was like, Yeah, I've gotten mail every day. He's like, I bet she found someone else. <laughs> like, I'm like, literally, so we we go lights out, I'm laying in my bed and I'm thinking to myself, man, like, did I say something wrong in the last message? Like, you know, it's all in translation, right? And you know, often you're writing after hours, so you see the the pen scrapes down the papers, you're falling right. asleep. And um, he comes in my my rack and says, Oh look, this fell out of the out of the <laughs> Um, from that moment, I kind of knew with with her. It's it's like uh, she's very important to me. I mean, we just learned a lot about each other and things that you wouldn't tell somebody in person uh, for whatever reason. Right. So I got graduated boot camp, um, which was for me that was a big one as well. Because, like I said, with you know, there was guys that were stronger than me, and I was the shortest person. So we we're always doing hikes, and I was always last, which means there's an accordion effect when you're with a lot of people. So I was running most of the time. Which right. <laughs> Um, so you know, kind of getting out. So I I finished boot camp with two basically stress fractured ankles that are just, in, and then I you know I got to go home for a little bit before my uh, Marine combat training, and that's when I spent time with her. And after being with her for that time, I was like, man, I, I just cannot be without this girl. Right. So I talked to her friend and I said, hey, I mean, I know it's only been like a few months, but you think, I mean, you think this girl? <laughs> and her friend's like, Alex, I honestly have no doubt that she would. Right you know i mean we're both young and you know a lot of a lot of people say when you get in the military you you know those don't work you know right I mean, along the way so basically she went through all deployments with me uh, you know i, I was uh, in japan i lived in japan for a year without her and my daughter and mm-hmm. probably but the four years i was in the marine corps i was probably only like home for about eight months with her like living okay so i went through that went through um you know being a, in japan for a while learning how to do things there coming back stateside and then going back to deploying iraq in 2006 um where i was with the communications company so i didn't end up being a programmer I ended up being a communicator which was a lot better a lot more intriguing to me uh, doing multi equipment and um in iraq there we end up uh i was always a person that was very um overly spoken if that makes sense i just you talk a lot i'm very good at keep my mouth shut
0: okay uh, <laughs> you
1: know, Um, So me and, you know, obviously a guy I respect very much by the tenant, but he, he, EOD needed some, some people, uh, explosive ordinance disposal, and some people. So he sent me and another guy that just, I mean, we weren't trouble. We just questioned and, you know, they don't like that, you know, so we got to EOD and and that's where I, um, that's where things kind of started showing me how to, how to, basically I was, I was bred to be a leader there, but then I learned from a different group of people to a gentleman to this day, I still speak to him, uh, Larry Goshen probably one of the most influential people in my life, um, and Mike Donnelly, they were with me in Iraq and, you know, they kind of helped me get through a lot of, uh, things, a lot of problems and right. just personally being away from that, being away from home, missing my family. And, um, you know, we had a great time doing stuff. I ended up being a mercy response driver for them. I did all the task and tracking for Western Iraq at that time. So it was one of those things where I was learning that what I was capable of, as long as, you know, I just needed someone to give me the opportunity to open everything up for me. Right. And that's kind of where I started seeing that I was I was worth more. I mean, I, already as a kid, I was doing things that were more advanced. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna say I was the smartest kid out there, but I mean, I was I was very intelligent. Um, and apparently, you put in a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, I almost didn't graduate high school because I got bored. So <laughs> that's kind of a big thing. But yes. going through the military, that kind of led me to a lot of different things. So in the military, because you don't get paid very much, I always had a side business, whether it was selling right. car parts on the internet or you know, doing graphical work for somebody. I mean, I've been doing graphic work and brand design since I was you know, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So just kind of going through that, um, you know, when I was in the Marine Corps, the first, the first incident where I had like kind of an adversary in my life was I got, I had a heart attack in 2003 in uh, Twain Palms. Okay. So I had a situation where I told somebody, he said, uh, he said he would run me to my heart stopped. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, let's go. And he did. Still, you know, ran me to my heart stop. We ran, you know, a long time. It was crazy. I ended up having yeah. like a, a heart. I'm convinced that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I mean, you know, dumb, you know, young dumb nineteen-year-old kid, you're gonna, right. you're gonna you know, rise to the challenge. But um, you know, I was faced with it with a with a thing to be able to get out of the Marine Corps because of the heart issue I was having and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, I talked to my 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 dad, and he says, look, he's like, if you come home, you're more. You can come stay here until you get back on your feet, but. I know well that you don't want to quit. You don't want to do this. Right. You want to stay in. So you figure out, he says, you're, you're very resourceful. He'd um, say I'm like a Vulcan. I live on technicality, you know, okay. so, um, just a matter of just trying to basically figure out. So I, I was able to continue on through um, and just stay in. So I, that kind of developed an issue for me along the way. You know, I always kind of uh, always got to be careful how hard he pushed at that point, you know, once yeah. it happens once. And, um, kind of going through the military aspect being in the Marine Corps and, and everything, that was the first time I was faced with the decision of, man, what do I do? I have an easy out right. and go home and then you go home kind of with your tail between your legs or whatnot, or you stay in and figure it out, which I think staying in was the biggest thing because that truly prepped me for the rest of my life. Okay. It kind of prepped me to. Even you know, with things, even when they're a challenge. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not going to say I've been perfect every time, but it, it taught me to kind of get through the Marine Corps is the, the first thing that I, fully achieved in my life. I mean, I finished my contract out. I, that was an E five we with Sergeant in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, I, I got to work with a lot of phenomenal Marines, a lot of good people out there that kind uh, of there that I still talk to today, which is kind of great. Awesome. So kind of going out, we got, we got in the military. Um, I got offered well, right before I got, I got offered a job to Arizona, that was the of moving here. And my mom was living here as well. Um, so one of the big things was it was, it was no reason to go back to where I was living. You know, I mean, there was, I had my wife, which was the only friend I had now from home for the last four years. Cause she was right. not home. And as uh, so we moved to Arizona for a job that didn't exist and was never, never opened up. Okay. So, yeah. I got offered a job for 60,000 a year to be a training manager for a organization, which remained nameless. Um, <laughs> and I got there and they said, Hey, the position is not available yet. And I was like, well, I'm here. I need, I need to work. Right. They gave me a, position to be a service writer so i was writing basically i was taking cars in and upselling oil changes and stuff like that right yeah kind of went through that and then the position never opened up and then i was kind of just working you know 70 80 hours a week just to just to pay bills right yeah and i got an opportunity i enrolled in school and then uh from there i just kind of dedicated i was literally 2 a.m one morning i was like how does make life suck less (laughs) And um, that's a good first uh, step, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you're sitting there and you know, you're battling kind of comeback back and being at war and having some flashbacks from that. And then, you know, also obviously like different environment. So I enrolled in college, you know, I okay. enrolled in college. And then uh, about three weeks later, I applied. I ended up working at University of Phoenix for uh, about from 2007 until about 2011. So I was there. I met a lot of great friends there as well um but i was always faced with the fact of i was younger than everybody else it doesn't matter how well i performed right I'm never going to be given the chance to do well i was you know even being number 1 that wasn't enough to make me um, in management because two people are very short sighted you know right. uh, i kind of saw it and there was some more you know um, setback there with no matter how much i worked no matter how hard i went mm-hmm. it wasn't going to i wasn't going to get there because i think some people would just frankly they're just scared of you passing them Right. Yeah. Uh, And that's, that's kind of bad. I mean, that's where I met another close friend of mine, Tony Arbiscato. He's actually another one that's impacted my life quite a bit. Um, He ended up leaving our division and overpassing everyone. Yeah. He had to go around about what to do it, but um, you know, it's kind of crazy, but I was there kind of overall and doing a lot of stuff, having a great time, you know, living life through my twenties. So I I,
0: I just wanted to throw in there. So um, I'm, I'm personally, one of my interests is the nonprofit arena. Mm-hmm. And last week I was uh, making the proposal that existing nonprofits need to find ways to integrate, want to be executive directors. So people start a nonprofit, mm-hmm. uh, existing ones say, stop doing that. There are too many already. And, and what I was saying is you need to find a way to integrate these people at a high enough level to bring them on. And it's kind of like what you're saying. The existing nonprofits are like, "Oh, they can come volunteer for us, and then yeah. we'll decide if they're good enough, we'll decide if the idea is good enough, and then maybe we'll bring them on at some point a few a few years down the line, and just like you, it's because they're worried you know in many respects, I don't know how to make this happen i I think differently, but you know in some respects, you should almost be fighting for your job every time. A new person comes on, right? because if the new person, like you were saying, you know, just because you're young, you might still be better than anybody else, and these new people coming into a nonprofit might be better than the executive director. Um, I, I know that nobody wants someone to jump in and take their place, but it keeps people like you down when, in fact, if you were you know if your skills were were recognized and utilized appropriately. The Absolutely. company would do a lot better.
1: So yeah. And I and I face that kind of a, a lot of times um throughout time. And I and I agree with you. I mean, the biggest part is there's some people that are just built to do something bigger. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of like I said going from UOP to then going to different categories. I did financial service on the side since like two thousand and I I always loved, I love numbers and I love calculations, I love helping people. Yeah. And then um, but my, my biggest thing with that was I did what everybody does. You get tired of the rules, you start your own company. Right. You know, so in 2013, roughly, it was 2013 or 2012. I no, was 2012. I started a company called Skyprint Media. We did uh, marketing, we did branding, we did vehicle wraps, we did everything. Yeah. Uh, which I, at that point, had a partner was a guy who seemed like he was a good guy, but I mean, over time, we got in a position to where I started seeing that he was not what he said he was. It was the reason why he didn't have friends, and he stole from everyone, including right. myself. Um, you know so we we were doing a company and he would do business without taking a receipt in. And then all of a sudden it comes back and they want me to fix the problem. But so you didn't do business with our business. You do business back. So we kind of, um, eliminated him. And then I came, basically I had to start taking over the role of now production sales and running the company, Mm -hmm. which I think for me was really good because I mean, it gave my, my busy, I mean, brain that was just all over the place, something to focus on all the time. Right. So, but it took me doing that in, in kind of where I feel like I would have maybe done better in a, in a, in a setting with the, with the job, you know, but we had to learn. So at that point, we kind of stealing my wife and I, I brought her into the business and that's how we kind of figured out what was happening. Okay. We controlled two, two sets of eyes, caught it. of yeah. our accountant said, Hey, why, why are you guys missing $3,000 this month?
0: <laughs>
1: and it was, it was, it was just weird. You know, it's like, um, we, we kind of got rid of him. Like I, I wish no ill on that guy. I mean. If somebody needed it that bad, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if somebody needs it that bad, everything catches up with you at some point. Right. You know, so we moved to California and then we're doing good there. We got in a lot of, with a lot of good people, had a lot of good clients and made a lot of great friends and they're still friends today. And I can't remember exactly when it was. I remember I was in the gym and well, a month prior, actually, I got basically, uh, I had a pimple on my back for a year and my wife okay. said, you hey, should get checked out the VA, you know, whatever. If you've ever been to a VA, you'll know that everything takes forever. Yeah, it was already 45 miles away. Then I get there, I get to a dermatologist and um, I'm waiting for two hours and they don't know what a dermatologist is. And I'm like, I'm leaving. And my wife said, just stay, do right. it. So I looked at it, they did a biopsy, they Say, we'll be in touch in 30 days. I'm like, okay. So they basically at that point, I um, mean, I go back to working, going back and doing everything. And I get a phone call, I'm at the gym and they said, the, the guy starts telling me, he says, hey, so unfortunately we found out, you, you know, you test positive for non Hodgkin's B cell lymphoma hmm. and me not knowing what it was, I was like, all right, well let's just cut it off and move on. Whatever. Right. <laughs> like it was like a, a, a melanoma or something that you just, you know, could just remove.
0: Right. Let, and, let's cut um, off the B cells. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: I mean, you know, I also wasn't paying full attention to him, you know, cause I'm yeah. texting my wife as, as I'm listening to this guy talk and, um, you know, he's like, well, you're taking this extremely well. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm here in the gym, so, you know, whatever. And, um I text my wife and she says, Why are you so calm? I was like, I just cut it off, right? She goes, Why don't you Google what you have? <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know? So then at that point, it kind of was a whirlwind of being at the hospital and had, you know, I had a company that was great and I had a lot of great friends that were in there um, that were running the company with me, trying to be as helpful as they could. A guy named Hector, Michael, Brandon, a lot of these guys, and a bunch of other people that come and help. Well, we couldn't keep the company enough because the problem is when you build a business around yourself and you don't make yourself duplicatable, yep. people want you and they want your brain. They're not going to pay the same rate for somebody that works under you. Right. So, um, you know, it was just one of those things that just things got harder and harder and harder. And then we're just depleting money with me, you know, being at the hospital three, four, five, six, you know, days a week, yeah. it was back and forth, back and forth. Well, we kind of went through the hardship. We we kept pushing through, basically spent everything we had to get it going. And then there was a turning point where I said, "Say, like, I don't know where I'm going to go." Right. So, after a three and a half hour drive, going 20 miles in you know, LA in traffic, <laughs> you know, I went to the <laughs> I went to my chemotherapy consult there. I mean, obviously, yeah. a whole lot happened between this stuff and speed and head. And um, it was one of those things where you know we had given up our house few years prior because of everything we had. You know, basically, our business was, you know, not thriving like it was. You know, it right. was just kind of a headache. When the main person is not there, that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, go talk to this doctor and he tells me, Hey, I got some good news. He's like, I don't see you as being a cancer patient. We're not going to need to move forward with any chemo right now. You get checked every couple years. And, um, you know, so basically I was like, all right, well now I'm back. But then I go back to work and I'm like excited to get going. And then, um, I'm looking at everything like, man, like I've got no money. I've got, mm-hmm. Running out of supplies. Right. And then a friend of mine actually um, from Arizona gave me a call. And at this point, mind you, I'm, I'm living with, you know, my wife's parents with her family and everything. And they're right. yeah. you know, great. I mean, the good thing is they're a Filipino family and they like having, you know, kids in the house. <laughs> and all that. I mean, they're they're amazing people. And uh, my best friend calls me and says, hey, you should come back to Arizona. Like, I see where you're at. He says, right. hey, man, literally like, it's kind of uh, sad. He says, every time I hear you, it sounds like you want to kill yourself. Right you just sound totally miserable. And I don't want to hear anymore. And this guy was my best friend. I met him at university of Phoenix in 2007 when I started working there. Right. You know, obviously stayed friends for a long time. So that was kind of the big thing is, you know, I basically at this point had no money. I, you know, I basically was going every month. It was just paying one thing to pay another. Yeah. So he got me a job here in Phoenix. And when you know, was I, this again? What's that? When was this again? 2016,
0: 2016, 2016. So about three years ago, three or
1: four. Yeah, it's about three years ago, and um, he got me a job with a company that did uh, debt relief. And he says, "Hey, man, I got it. I can get you a job here. You can work for this company. They'll pay you really well. You'll you'll like the mission because I always like helping people. And that's yeah, uh, my business too. Where I would do bad is people knew that to, to touch my heart, and then that would I would charge less to help them kind of get there, and then they'd leave and go get some go somewhere else. Right. So I, I've always been the, the MO with stuff is, you know, people kind of, I try and help people more and they abuse it and kind of just take off. Um, so that brought me back to Phoenix and, um, you know, I, I basically got a job at this company and they were a great company, had a great mission, great people. Um, kind of the big thing is I, they let me go to work. You know, they let me just go to work. I would just work hard. And, 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 you know, I got very good at what I did just because I believed in the mission. As long as I believe in the mission, nothing else matters to me. You know I mean? All the, all the side stuff, the, Negative talk; it doesn't make a difference. So I worked for I basically worked as hard as I could from November, from March of sixteen when I got there, and then you know my wife was still in California, so I was literally taking a Spirit flight for (laughs) eighty dollars, you know, back and forth. And I just up and I was able to pay off a bunch of debt. We're able to work really hard with her support, obviously, and she uh, just basically took care of everything, took care of the kids and everything. So in we were supposed to have her wait there for about six months, but in I got there in March and June, I just couldn't take me away from the family anymore. Yeah. So we moved to Gilbert, Arizona, and then we were able to get a house there. And then I just kinda of put I just put my head down and I said, you know what, I'm gonna work. And I told her, I said, you know, you I promised you coming back but she didn't want to come back to Arizona. Obviously she's with family. Right. I said, I'm gonna get you your dream house, get you what you want. So I went to work. I just worked hard every day. I, mean, I did that. I basically continued my printing business a little bit on the side, did side work. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the things that I didn't need in my life anymore. Um, the business and what's crazy is the business is the peak. I had a I had an offer to sell it for two hundred eighteen thousand. Okay, yeah. and I'm selling it to one of my former employees for nineteen thousand. Wow, just to, just to get rid of everything, you know. Yep. Um, but I just worked, and then you know we just kind of kept the course, stayed the mission, and in November of two thousand seventeen, we were able to move into our house. So going from having you know nice. twenty bucks in my bank account to putting a lot of money down on, on the white stream house. So that's kind of a big thing for me, and along the way, it's—I've always been a person that's battled my own mind. Yeah, they say there's these people that are very strong-willed, and you know, I, I think I won by stubbornness. <laughs> you case. just refuse to be beat. Yeah, I mean that's that's a big thing, is you know, um, I, but I'm also a person that I will never be a trailblazer. I need I need competition in place. Okay, and that's what I kind of tell people, even now when I speak, is figure out what is going to drive you. You know, um, I love, I love recognition, I, you know, basically, and that's, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I also love, con- you know, having contribution and right. people adding stuff to people, making people better. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, uh, military vets in particular, that just kind of wonder, like, you know, how are you just, why don't you just give up? And right. Because I have a choice. I mean, I, I've got a family that's got to, you know, live on mm-hmm. and that's what I'm in now. So like, you know, I got that job and I did it. I lost sight of why I came back to Phoenix which was to build this financial services business with my best friend. Right. And with that, um, you know, I started kind of seeing in that job. I wanted to get into the executive management. I, I truly felt that I was worth, you know, two, three, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand a year. Right. And I was making, you know, I was making six figures. It, it wasn't difficult for me to do. And I was doing a lot of, you know, I was providing a lot of feedback. I was training other people for for nothing. I was optimizing systems. I was fixing problems. So I kind of, you know, said, you know, hey, I want to look at something a little more serious, but the problem is to go into the next position was about a, a $80,000 pay cut to become a super. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know. 80000 is significant, yeah. Yeah, it's significant. I mean, commission sales, I believe they're capping those people at 100000
0: 105000
1: Wow. And, you know, the next position above that, which I mean, they're great positions. I mean, that's great pay for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, exposition I think above that capped at like 130 135 maybe I'm not totally sure but I just said the point is you know I don't want to take a massive pay cut and I feel like um, you know I'm not gonna say beyond that like I was much better than those people right. but my set would have been better in a, in a operations with the ability to to, to mentor help people and, and kind of guide the ship right but I basically figured out that was never going to happen uh, which is okay I mean you know again if you want something and you don't like the way it works you go start your own thing <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I mean, with that, I mean, my you wife know, had a conversation. I, I basically decided to leave that position, and like I said I, there was nothing wrong with the job. The people, I loved everything about that place. That's what was hard leaving was was my yeah. friends I made. So I started working uh, for myself Financial Services, and um, that's where I'm at now today. Because I truly feel like there's a basic concept that people need, and you know, they don't understand. There's there's a big you know literacy problem in the U.S. with financial. Mm-hmm. And this stuff's not taught in schools. And I will say this if I met somebody before I got diagnosed with cancer that does what I do, I would at least listen to them. Right. I had stuff in place to protect me from from everything, to be able to take care of my family. I mean, a lot of times I say that the reason I didn't die, I think the cancer had to go away was because if I did, my family had nothing. So I had no choice right. but to survive. Which right. may have been a great thing for me. I don't know. But um imagine, you know, that I was faced with the thing of being, you know, a thirty year old man with a family of of three, you know, a family of five total, and I had no life insurance in place. I had no retirement because we spent our retirement on the business to try and get it going. And then I determined, you know, when I when I came and I looked at this business and I looked at the model so much, I said, "Man, this gives me everything I want—the mm-hmm. the position to be able to mentor people. I don't have a boss. Nobody's telling me when to be to work, which not right. always sometimes. <laughs> you right, know, it, it depends on who like you are. Yeah." Well, I mean, even even for me, since you know, when I first it's funny when I quit my job, um, my best friend called and says, His name's Jason. He says, You know, uh, what are you doing? And I said, Um, you know, learning how to build some tables at the house. He's like, Why aren't you at the office? He goes, Oh, you know, I'm just trying, you know, take a little bit of time off after after leaving. And then, you know, that kind of turned into more time. But I learned a lot from that. I mean, over the last year I've gotten to do a lot of you know, I guess soul searching would be a good thing. Got a lot more spiritually and you know, I feel like I've taken the steps to be a better person. Uh, the person I was a year ago is not the person I am today, which is the greatest thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that, so like, can you tell us what company you're with? Um, Yeah. I mean, I work under Wolf world Finance group. It's owned by trans America.
0: Okay. So,
1: um, you know, the, the reason I like it is because, you know, we have the ability, you know, when you deal with the company, you're dealing with the person you're dealing with. You're not dealing with it. It's not like the company as a whole. It's like yeah. hanging your license somewhere. So I get to be truly independent and nobody tells me what products to sell. And nobody tells me, what to, um, you know, how to do something. Nobody's telling me you should do this for more commissions. That's why I left. Um, I didn't say the company, but I was with another insurance company <laughs> and I left them because I was faced with the ethical decision of doing something that I felt was totally wrong. And right. he was well, you make 3,500 more commission this month. Right. And I said, that doesn't make, that doesn't matter to me. And then my, respond, great. I guess you're not the person I thought you were. I yeah. said, I'm really glad I'm not the person I thought I was at that point.
0: You know?
1: Right. So, um, so, so what do you, Provide or
0: so. If someone's in the situation that, that you were in in the past, right? You know, coming up on 30, you've got three kids and a wife. You said you would have listened to somebody like you and had something in place. What should a person in that position have in place?
1: Well, you, you know, you think about a big aspect is first thing you need to sit with someone get some basic education. Mm-hmm. So, the reason I like World Financial Group is because of the, the mission is no family left behind. It's helping people that nobody's trying to help, you know, all these big head companies are talking about saying names, but they're not knocking on someone's door trying to help them in middle America. Mm -hmm. It's not profitable. They don't care. Right. And that's where we're a little bit different. We're in the mission and the crusade of helping people to make sure that they can answer basic questions of what if I live too long? What if I die too soon? Or what if I get sick? Right. You know? And so when I sit with the person, everybody gets a free basic, you know, education of compounding interest, how it works how taxes work and how the market works. You know, I, I mean, I can go into the hours of talk of how we've been lied right. to I and mean, the government made the 401k sound like the best product out there. But we all, you know, when I educate these people, they start to understand that there's more than what they're told and right. they they do owe it to themselves to do a little bit of the research and things like that. So we educate them on those concepts and we do a financial analysis for them. Look at where they're at, where they're going where they and what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I like the organization too is because if somebody has a true desire to work for themselves, they can come in, get you know, get trained, learn to work for themselves, and, and learn to build a team for themselves. Right. And a lot of people give give that a, a, that a stigma of a bad situation, but that's any business in the world. Right. You know, you think they're about, pretty much independent. Yeah. So I mean, when I worked at a when I worked at a, co- a corporation, that's a, that's a pyramid if you think about it. <laughs> um, yes. And 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 there's nothing wrong with that. I don't I don't think bad of people that work there. I mean, everybody's built for something different. You know, but the CEO is never going to come down and say, Hey, let me teach you how to get to where I'm at because then he creates competition. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, as we're helping these people though, I think a big part of it is just understanding basic concepts because somewhere along the line, we turned out from being a nation of savers and, you know, responsible to a nation of spenders and debt. Right. So that's why with being in debt relief where I was at, it kind of plays a good part in this because I understand debt. I understand how the process works. I understand the emotional connection that people have to credit cards and yes. about well, I just I can't do this. You know, I don't I you know it's okay if something happens. If you if you're you know working you know, if you're using credit cards and something happens and your life changes, it's okay to ask for help. Now if you just want to be irresponsible, then there's other routes for that too. Sure. Yeah. Well, so we kind of help people with um, you know, understanding, you know, cash flow, where their money goes, it helps them understand a budget, what they're doing, because I mean, I've I've seen clients where they're making great money and their their bank account zero every month before they get paid. Right. You know, It's just bringing the education around. Everything awareness. that comes in goes out. Yeah. You no, know, I always, you know, it's the term of I have too much month left at the end of my money. Right. Yes. You know, and that's where a lot of people are. So it's just through basic education concepts and showing them, hey, look, this is where your money's going. Well, I don't spend that much. Okay. Well, you know, let's look at your day. Well, I usually stop at Starbucks and I go do this and I get a snack at the machine at work. Then I go to Starbucks and I go get lunch after that. And then, I mean, I've seen people spending, you know, $120 a day and just
0: frivolous. <laughs> Yes, you know, and, like, and they don't know it, probably.
1: No, and that's why I tell people is people say, "Oh, I'm so dumb." I say, "You're not dumb. You don't know what you don't know." Right. If anybody tells you you're dumb, you need to leave that person's office and, and go get somebody that actually cares about helping you, versus just telling you what you're doing correct. Right. So I, we just gotta basically just alter some habits, be in a position to where we can just understand where the money's going. Once we do that, then we look at the debt situation. Then we look at you know different strategies. For me personally, I get the opportunity. To do a little bit above and beyond because I was certified in debt. I can tell people where they should be paying off. I can create a debt plan for somebody to pay their debt off themselves. Mm-hmm. I can help them with, you know, getting into a consumer credit counseling program. I can help them with the debt negotiation program. I can help them understanding whether they should be going to bankruptcy or not. Right. You know, And that's the biggest thing is that's, that's one in that. And I always tell people like this is there's steps because I see people that are trying to put 15% away their check to a retirement, but they're in, Paying monthly payment, minimum payments on their credit cards, which will last 35 years, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's a big thing is people understand that you know there's these older people, old household names of uh, of, uh radio show hosts that you know tell people <laughs> they give a lot of old information, and, and the problem is that information that person's been singing the same tune since the 70s and 80s, yeah. And you know, a lot of people think you know they hear these debt snowball terms and all that stuff, it works, but there's parameters. Right, right. Yeah. you I, you know, I remember telling a lady, she's, you know, you know, 82 years old, she has, you know, 40,000 in credit card debt and her social security is 808 every month. And, and I'm thinking to myself, like, you need to do something different. Like, um, uh, right. Just go file bankruptcy. Yeah. And she said, I can't do it. These credit cards are so good to me. I said, you're maxed out on every card right? you're borrowing from one card to make your minimum payments. And it's just, it just kind of. But we've been brainwashed to get into that. That's what the banks want,
0: right? And and the reality is that turn it around, and the credit card companies would do what they could, not not maliciously, but they would do what they could against you. Right? All the laws, the rules, yeah. just like you're allowed to with bankruptcy. It's yeah. your your side of the coin.
1: Exactly, and I, I think the problem I think with the, with credit card companies it is malicious to an extent. <laughs> you know, they say they've taken. You know, I I can't remember the exact stat, but. Um, it was like 25 million a day in, in in late fees. Yeah, right. So it's like I saw a picture the other day. It's like 30 billion, but I don't know if that's actually a, a fair accurate number. But they're taking money from people that don't have money, in in overdraft fees at banks.
0: Yeah, they're, so I agree. There's a challenge there. Um, yeah. I also understand their side, right? So you know they assume that these people aren't <laughs> going to pay back, and so they're trying to. You know, they' these people are higher risk, so we're charging them more. On the other hand it also pushes the people who are at higher risk further into risk. So, so Alex, how are you doing in this company?
1: I mean, I'm doing great. I love it. I mean, I've I've been, you know, it's my future. I don't, I don't, I'm not out looking for a job. I mean, I get to help people sit with people on different aspects. Yeah. And um, I mean, you think about it, if, if I can help somebody with using leveraging life insurance to help them with retirement and if something happens, you know, at the end of the day, they're in a position to where they can be sure, imagine waking up, tomorrow and knowing that if something happened to you, your fight, your family wasn't going to f- suffer both emotionally, but also just, you know, they're going to suffer emotionally no matter what, but they do not right. going to suffer emotionally. Right. You know, when I yeah, say- and
0: they won't suffer emotionally in terms of like losing their house or not going to college or, you know, you know the worst thing that happens is they end up going bankrupt and mm-hmm. my thing is homelessness. So they end up on the street. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what, what advice do you have for somebody who's going through some some challenges? Like you went through these businesses that didn't work out. You were doing well in in your, your one graphics business, and then you got cancer, and then it crashed and burned. Yeah. Um, as you said, basically, you were offered, what, 219 and sold it for 16 or something like that.
1: Yeah, was a, yeah I sold it for 19, uh, you, you know, two years later after it crashed. Right. And
0: so... It, it's been a struggle. I mean, there've been a lot of things that might've been easier, gone more smoothly for you. What, what tips do you have for people who are going through that kind of thing?
1: I would say, um, you know, you've got to find something to believe in. I mean, a lot of people that I, I rely and I've been relying a lot more, um, and getting a lot more spiritual lately. And some people I have friends that don't, be, don't believe in that. They don't, don't believe in God, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I just feel like you have to believe in something. that is some higher power above yourself because mm-hmm. I, that's just pretty shallow for us to think that we're the only thing you know, we create ourselves. Let's be realistic. Wait, yeah. wait, I am the top of the heap. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, a big part of it is just, you know, obviously, you know, the same things that you see on, on everything is, you know, look at your life and just determine that, you know, you just can't stop. You know, I've right. had a lot of friends commit suicide and you know, the biggest thing about it is people always say I had no idea. Of course you don't have any idea because they were going to actually do it. Right. You know, they weren't calling out for help because they were out there or down, you know, past that point. I've had friends you know, that were in the military and they just gave up. And to right. uh, be honest with you, if I, if I didn't have my family, I don't know whether I'd be here today. If I didn't have my wife, she was a phenomenal support system. I mean, she's been through things with me that you know I don't see anybody who would stay with anybody for. You mm-hmm. know, um, I just say make a determination that you're not going to quit and, <clears throat> and put it everywhere so you see it. You know, I mean, if, if you're, if you're spiritualist pray for God to give you strength, if you, you know, find mentors, people that will sit with you and talk with you and, and be better um, right? and make sure that your group of friends are, are, you know, cohesive to what you, I don't know if cohesive was the right word, but you know, to what you want in life, you right. know, the thing about it is you always see these, uh, these things on Instagram and Facebook about, well, I traded, you know, party nights for hard work. I traded, you know, doing this for, you know. For reading books and stuff like that, um, I, I don't think people have to give up their life, but I think that they, you know, even even I and I'll be honest with you, I struggle sometimes having a balance of, because there is no my business like my business is my lifestyle, right? right. So I don't work I don't work, you know, nine to five. I work when the work is done. The work is done. If that means I have to, you know, see a client on a Sunday at three p.m., right? I'm going to see him on three at three p.m., you know. Um, I think you know, it, you know, my Black Friday is going to consist of trying to help people sit up and save money versus, you know, spend their money. Right. I think the biggest thing um, is it's okay to be stubborn when it's involving giving up, you know. How do you mean? It's okay to not want to give up. So, I mean, with me, when I lost that company, I don't think that was me giving up. Now, did I give up on the company? Yes. But I'm willing to bet on myself. Yeah. I have enough faith in myself and the people, you know, people around me have the faith in me. So it's like, did I not do well at that company? Yeah. Well, that to me, to be honest with you, I just don't think that was where I was meant to be. Right. You know, I wasn't, you know, I didn't come for money, which is not, and it's not a bad thing. I think it's a great thing, but um, I didn't have somebody to bail me out when I got in trouble and I got some help, but nobody, gonna influx me 200 grand just to just keep my business afloat. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I just think that for people that that don't have those things to realize that you're not alone, other people are doing it. Other people have, you know, they're, they're, they're making it regardless and going against all odds. Like with our organization, the reason I like it, and there's a big fallout rate. Some people just aren't willing to work for what they want or Mm -hmm. they just, they're not prepared for it. But I look at the people in this company that have done it. All of them came from basically nothing or very little, I don't know. I personally don't know a person that came from a wealthy company that's in what we do. It's making six, seven figures. Right. You know, I think so. It's a part is, you know, find Find your arena is what what I would say to them. Right. So find where you're going to thrive, because
0: it's it goes back to the thing, you know, if you judge a fish by his ability to climb a tree, he'll always fail. Right. So you may be trying to climb a tree right now,
1: but maybe you should be looking for where you swim. Yeah, because, you know, the print business, I couldn't do, I loved, I, I love the passion of creating, right? Mm-hmm. I love taking your vision from your brain and your heart to your, to the screen. Uh, but however, that's not where I was going to make an impact with my life. Right. I'm, I'm a firm believer that just because, you know, a lot of people say follow your passions, follow your dreams. I always make the joke that you'll never work a day in your life because nobody's hiring in that. <laughs> um, but for me, my, my passion is helping people. So if your passion is helping people Mm-hmm. Figure out where you can help people. It doesn't matter where you're helping them, right? You know, if if you can fit that fulfillment, like you know, a teacher says, you know, I, you know, and for me in this business, the reason why I like it because obviously it's it's a well paid industry. There's a lot of money in it. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot, you know, it's got some some uh, some a bad rap because you no know, everybody's scared to talk about money and financials. Nobody's right? Yeah. You know, going to judge me. I don't care what people have in the bank. It Doesn't matter because I've been I've been worse, right? You know? Um, but I, I would say find that arena where with me, it's like, I, I thrive in helping people. It just so happens financials interest me in building plans and strategies are something I love and enjoy. hmm well, Find those things. And then what I'm going to do is have that fuel my nonprofit that I'm hoping to start in the next two to three years to helping basically dislocate vets, So a vets that are homeless. Okay. Come back to the world. And the thing is, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you become a millionaire running a nonprofit, you're doing something wrong. Okay. The only way to be a millionaire owning a nonprofit is to start out as a billionaire. It should happen in my, in my eyes, you know um, like I see like Simper Fund uh, foundation, which is one of the, you know, fund that I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously a Marine Corps fund, but there's other ones that people know that are very big. I'm not going to say the names of it, but you know, that was all over the news and people think, well, that should be okay if they want to take a piece of the pie. I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, The same reason I don't obli- agree with, I don't talk politics anymore because I don't think, you know, politics should not be a career. It should be a public service and you go home. (laughs) Right. You know, 280 grand for the rest of your life. I don't agree with that. So, um, you know, there's certain things that you can use those to fuel the passion to want to help people. So at the end of the day, I just use something good at with strategy and and understanding and removing emotions Mm -hmm. and people in financials. Because if you think about it, that's where a lot of families struggle is they don't fight because they don't like each other. They fight because of stress of money. In most cases, right, exactly. So, that's the main reason for divorces. Absolutely. Well, the, the number one cause of divorce is marriage. For one, that's uh, a, <laughs> that's one. But I would say just keep going. To be honest with you, Michael. Um, okay. Find that, a group of people that can go with you. Yeah. As well, it's all about environment and culture. Even even though I'm independent, we've created a culture of people that work together. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, thrive and push each other, and they're willing to say, you know, hey, is everything okay? Right. You know, and same to others that are wanting to give up. Just don't, you know, you know, it's, it's hard because people say, oh, you should call me and feel it down. But then when you call them, they don't answer the phone.
0: Right. And uh, when so, you're feeling down is not really the time that you're likely to pick up the
1: phone and call somebody. Exactly. So I would just say to just keep pushing on and realize that others have done it. Others have, you know, persevered. And I mean, I always use the, the, the picture I see where the, if one guy digging a tunnel and he starts walking back, right before he hits the diamonds. Yeah. uh, There's a, there's a video or, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ed My but he's one of the people I follow very highly, like on a daily basis, he talks about, you know, hitting a pinata of life. Okay. No, do you really want to, do you really want to walk away before, before you get the reward? Okay. That's a huge one. I would say just don't give up. And you know, once you know you're in that space, nothing will stop you. All right.
0: Well, awesome. Thank you very much for your time. And if someone wanted to get in touch with you to talk about life, to talk about suggestions for how to do it, or um, to, to talk about whether they need financial services or if they wanted to join with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Um, so I can give, I can give my, my phone number as well. I'll give uh, my social media outlets as well. So the business line is 480-331-5411. Okay. And then my email is alex.wfgaz at gmail.com. And then my handles on every social media is very simple. It's a L E V O L V E. It's basically my initials and evolve. So all evolve is what we call it. um, Because we just got to keep evolving no matter what happens. I mean, you know, evolve for the better and just keep pushing yourself.
0: All right. Well, awesome. Thank you very much. And we'll put that info down in the description of this. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, I'm sure they'll be reaching out. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much, Alex. It's been great talking to you.